Hi, welcome back to the Motocross Training Podcast. Joel Yunkins here, bringing you another episode of Motocross Training. And before I start, I just want to say real quick that hopefully you enjoyed the episode last week, which was goal-setting practice with my wife, Kelly. Uh, she really enjoyed doing that episode. She was uh, she thought the opportunity was cool, and she hopes to do a couple more episodes here in the near future. So hopefully you guys liked it. Uh, she has a lot of good stuff, and she works with a lot of people that are very high-performing individuals, not necessarily racers, but people in business and and people that are very successful uh, hire her to help her with goal-setting practices and keeping them on track. It's much more than just, you know, regular, you know, counseling work. It's more of um, working through, you know, performance-based practices with her. So hopefully you think it's cool. Um, I know I do, and that's why I had her on. So I figured you guys would enjoy that, the little mix-up from listening to me. Um, and, yeah, I'm sure you'll hear in the near, uh, the near future. But today I want to talk to you guys about should you hire a trainer? Should you be in the market for one? Is it for you? Do you have one and you're maybe considering, hey, is this really worth it? Um, You know, there's a lot of different types of trainers in the industry, a lot of different backgrounds and a lot of, you know, misconceptions as far as, you know, who's good, who's not good, does it really work? And we're going to kind of navigate through that today a little bit to help you figure out if you should hire a trainer. So this is one of those things that when talking about trainers and motocross, I think like a lot of things, people place things on a spectrum and they kind of navigate to the extreme. So either seems to be, you know, you have the people that believe, yes, you need a trainer. Absolutely. If you don't have a trainer, you're not doing things right. And, you know, it's just the way to go. You have to have one if you're trying to be competitive in this day and age. And then you have like the other side of people where they're like, no, nah, man, they're they're overrated and you're overpaying for a man friend and you could just do this stuff on your own. It's not that complicated. So, you know, kind of like almost anything, um, you know, I really think that the answers are usually found in the middle somewhere. So I don't think you really necessarily need to have to have one nor do I feel they're really overrated. The answer is usually in between, and there's a lot of, you know, kind of complexity between that of kind of who you're talking about and what you're talking about and who this is for. So that's kind of what we're going to navigate a little bit through here today. And, you know, I think really, like, when you're talking about competition, the only really extreme that we should really acknowledge is your ability to perform your sport. So that's, you know, how good are you on the bike? And that should be the extreme. So if one end of the extreme is you're really bad and the other end is you're really good, we hope that you're on the really good extreme side. You know, especially if you're tuning in this podcast, hopefully you're pretty good. You know, at least competitive enough to be, you know, competitive in your class. Um, you know, that's the one that's the one topic, the most important topic is to push that side, push that to the one side of the spectrum to the to the yeah, you really want to be good. Um spectrum if you're in the middle you're probably in the middle of the pack so uh yeah that's the one the one uh the one difference there but everything else when it comes to preparation the answers are usually in the middle somewhere um you know and pretty much everything outside of what your ability is is just really going to come down to how far do you want to take your preparation and how serious are you about your your career and like how much how prepared do you want to be 
How much help do you want? That's kind of where everything else, you know, needs to surround your ability to ride the bike. Um, you know, and I think a lot of this too is gets brought up and I've mentioned this before and, you know, a lot of people have this discussion is, oh, the best training you can do is on the bike. Well, it's just like, yeah, of course, like that's the sport. And you want to take a basketball player and not have them shoot a basketball all off season and have them, you know, only run and lift weights and expect them to come out and perform well on game one. You know, again, we're taking training as one part in the equation and it could be a really important part and you make it work towards the rider. Like you don't training off the bike. Isn't fixing things on the bike. It's helping things with what you're already good at. So that's why it's a very complex process and it's not just very, you know, separate here or there, you know, all you just got to do is just ride, you know, it's a lot of different parts <clears throat> that come into play. So Throughout kind of the rest of the episode, I want to make some comparisons for you. I want to, you know, give you really what what is the role of a trainer, of hiring a trainer. And I'm going to say trainer. I, I actually like the term coach better, but we'll just say trainer for the episode. A lot of people are more familiar with that, I think, especially in the motocross industry. People refer to them as trainers. So either way it works, it doesn't matter, but we'll just call it trainer for this episode. Also, I'm going to explain that not all trainers are created equally. And then we're going to talk about what's important for you to understand. A couple just really just drive home points that you need to have in your brain about this. And we'll talk about should you hire a trainer? And lastly, how much should you pay for one? So let's go back up and, you know, we're going to kind of talk about some comparisons here that I want to make to help you wrap your head around really kind of, you know, what a trainer is like comparable to. And the first one I want to talk to you about is... I think a trainer, I really believe the trainer is very similar to a mechanic, you know, a mechanic as far as like who works on your bike, you may have one, you may not. And so if you did have a mechanic and if you do, you know, your mechanic's job is to prepare your bike to make sure your bike works good for you, that you're happy with it. So that when you swing your leg over the bike, your bike's good to go. And that's part of the equation, but it's still your job to ride the bike good. Once the bike, once the mechanic hands the bike over for you to go to the starting line or before the gate drops, his job's done. Other than give you lap times or whatever else he's putting on the pit board, you know, his job's done and it's up to you. And that's what makes motocross a very unique um, sport. You know, it's, it's an individual sport. There is no place to hide. Whatever place you get is what you get. And, you know, it's your responsibility to own up to if you're happy with that place or not. So I think like, you know, you as the racer, you have a responsibility to show forth what your mechanic did for you. And it's not up to him to twist the throttle. That's on you. And I'm well aware, like in my position and I'm around, you know, I'm not just, I'm not just grounded in the motocross industry. I'm, I have ties in a lot of other sports and, you know, I'm connected really well as far as like the different the different areas of this whole training industry goes as far as different sports and things like that. I have a pretty good, you know, base on it and are a good feel, I should say. And usually in athletics that I'm well aware that trainers and strength coaches are almost always the first to get thrown under the bus when things aren't going well. It's just the way it is. And I think, you know, that's kind of where it is to mechanics, like, or even a team, like, people setting their bikes up like it's it's a touchy relationship it needs to be trusted it needs to be 
It needs to be tight. If not, you know, if the rider's not happy, you're probably going to be the first to go as, you know, a trainer or a mechanic or something like that. Um, but it's common. That's not everybody. I'm not trying to say motocross racers are like that in general, but it happens because it happens in all athletics. You know, in football, if the you know, if the, the head coach isn't happy with the team they're losing, usually the first person they're trying to get rid of is the strength coach. And um, they usually just kind of start there and they just start running through the whole team. But um, but we have to realize is that there is a technical component. So that's the ability for you to ride the bike, which is the most important. There's a tactical, that so that would be bike setup. So that's where your mechanic would come into play. And then there's physical prep, and that's where your physical preparedness would come into play as far as working with the trainer or just working out in general. Another comparison, and this one, I believe this was Ryan Dungey said this when he hired, I think it was Alden Baker at the time. He said, yeah, you can do your training on your own, but it's kind of like doing your taxes. Sure, you can do them, but it's just way easier to hire an accountant to do your taxes so that you don't screw anything up and you don't have to guess you know, that you're doing everything right while you're filing. Because if not, you can find yourself in trouble doing your taxes and you don't want to do that. And you don't want to find tr- yourself in trouble or have to like go through all this extra work to try to figure out your training and probably never get it right in the first place. And then the last thing, the last comparison for you is, um, you know, training, I think is a lot like having a tutor, you know, for a class in school. So like I had a tutor and when I was in college for physics, I, I love the concepts of physics, but taking it in college is, oh man, is a nightmare. Like I barely passed with a D and I'll tell anybody that. And, <laughs> um, it was just a really hard concept for me to wrap my head around. I think, you know, math in real life, you know, things happening is great, but when you like put them together in a classroom, I just, nothing clicked. So, you know, like I had a tutor for, um, physics and, but what, you know, a tutor would do is they're going to help. They're not giving you the answers, but they're going to help provide you with the tools for you to succeed and to get to where you want to be. So basically like they just give you a chance and, you know, to, to excel and, Really, when it comes to preparation, all you're trying to do when like your preparation doesn't guarantee you anything. It just gives you an opportunity, a chance, a platform to go compete at your highest level. Just like showing up in that classroom, like I was completely lost doing physics class. But by going to a tutor, I at least knew I had a chance to pass the class. If I didn't go to a tutor, I uh, probably would have failed it. So um, that's kind of a couple of comparisons. I want you to kind of help. I like to compare things and help like if you're having trouble making like wrapping your head around a topic, try to compare it to something else. And that's what I'm doing here for you. So the next thing is what I want to talk to you about is the actual role of a trainer and what it should be. And this is what it comes down to, whether you're a racer, whether, you know, you're a 55 year old businessman just trying to be in shape. If you're a college athlete, a pro athlete, or a junior high basketball player, um, whoever you are, when you're working with a trainer, there's a couple of things that like you really need to make sure that they're, you know, placing priorities. And if they're not, this should throw up a red flag. And the first one is, and when the first one's most important, and this is the one that if I, you know, with my other coaches, I always tell them the first thing, your first role as a coach is to keep your athletes and clients safe. And there's really two parts of this. The first one is you want to keep them safe in the gym because 
the gym or training, that's a place for it's where you're supposed to be safe and healthy and train for times that are going to be dangerous. Like you don't want to make like your riding's already dangerous. You don't want to make the gym another dangerous place. You want to make it a safe environment for them to put their work in. So things like putting clips on the bar, making sure they're lifting with proper form. Also, um, make sure your program is right so you don't hurt somebody by pro- may having a dumb program and causing people knee pain, back pain, blown shoulders out. I mean, that's real stuff. People mess themselves up with training, and you don't want to do that. You want to help build them up for the dangerous things like racing you're going to do on the track. The second part to keeping you safe is when you're programming or when you're coaching someone, you know, especially in a sport like racing, you want to train or have a focus of keeping your athletes safe, knowing that one day they're going to fall and they're going to fall hard. And you're hoping that you're doing your job as a trainer to make your athletes strong and resilient and that you're going to help increase the rate of injury prevention for them and that they're not going to get hurt as often. So number one, you know, the first rule is, you know, the trainer should be focused on keeping you safe. And if they're not, then I would probably start looking elsewhere. Um, the other part, the second role of the trainer is going to be, you know, they want to pinpoint your efforts. So kind of like what Ryan Dungey was saying, it's going to be less stress and energy thinking and guessing on your own. So if you can just show up to workouts and just be like, hey, like, you know, Joel's already got this taken care of. I just got to go in and do my work and I know I'm good. So that's a lot less like that's a lot less demanding than having to read articles and, you know, should I do this? And while you're actually doing it, you're like thinking, you know, should I be doing, you know, all this work on this rower? Is this is this rowing machine really helping me? Am I doing enough? Am I doing too little? And you know, you just start second guessing yourself and you don't want to have that approach. And the best way to kind of think of this is like in your training, you want to think of it as being a sniper, especially as an athlete, because you're not just some regular fitness enthusiast that can have all this time at the gym. And that's really the only thing you're doing. You're an athlete first and you're using the gym or whatever training equipment you have to really like to not waste your time. You want to make sure what you're doing is actually working. So you want to think of it as like a sniper approach versus a guns blazing approach. So if you come in, like, say you're like, I don't want to talk about like the war, like war too much or like killing people, but it's just kind of like a reference. Let's just say we're talking about a video game. But if you're a sniper, you want to think one shot, one kill. So it's like, hey, we're going to go in and we're going to do it right. And you're going to get a benefit instead of just doing a guns blazing approach where like you just come in with like a room with a machine gun and you just pull the trigger and bullets are flying everywhere, but you might kill one person out of a hundred bullets. So that would be like an approach. Like, hey, I'm going to do all this stuff in hopes that one, a couple things I'm doing is actually working. And that's actually how a lot of people approach training. They just do a bunch of stuff, elevate their levels of fitness, but specifically they're not really like, you know, hitting the target the way they should. They're kind of all over the place. So role of a trainer is going to help pinpoint, it's going to take that stress out of just thinking about it, placing it on them, and just, you know, having a nice, clear, uh, you know, clear route, a precise route for, route for you instead of doing a bunch of things that are just kind of wasting your time. And third, it should add to your competitive confidence. And competitive confidence, I think, is, you know, 
Some may argue this is most, you know, 90% of the whole preparation process. Um, I'm not going to put a number on it, but I know it's important. I know it's a real thing, and I know it's there. I felt it. We've all felt it as athletes before um, at one point or another. So, again, by eliminating the guesswork, this is going to save you a lot of time to figure things out. So imagine rolling up to the line with your bike. You're going up to the starting line, and there's two scenarios. Scenario one, you could be like, all right, I've been working with Joel, and you know we've been putting the work in. I believe that his programs work. He's taking care of me. Yeah, like I'm ready to go. I'm good. I'm solid. Let's go. Let's do this. Or you roll up to the line by training on by yourself, and maybe you're like, man, hopefully I've been doing everything right. Hopefully that that workout I'm not still crushed from you know Thursday, and I'm I'm still a little sore today. Was that too much? You know, have I been doing enough? Have I been doing too much? Am I doing the right things? Like, hopefully I don't get tired on the last lap like I did last week. So think about, like, which approach you would want to have. So a trainer is going to help you give you that confidence because you know, like, hey, I got my trust in them. And, you know, like, and that's kind of another thing, too, which we'll talk about is that, you know, you, if your trust is in the trainer, that you know you should just know like hey i'm good like he told me i'm good and i'm you know just rolling to the to the line with that confidence is just if that's the small edge over your competition then that's probably what it's going to take for you to beat him him or her all right so moving on i want to talk to you about not all trainers are created equally and you're gonna have your bad apples just like you would in any other industry so I'm not going to get into details of like who I think is a good trainer, who I think is a bad trainer, or anything like that. I honestly don't really know many of the trainers in the industry because um, I'm not like super deep in the industry. I just kind of like, I'm, you know, I'm not like talking to a whole bunch of people all the time. Um, I talk to my racers and I have friends in the industry, but I'm not like, I don't know. I should just say I just don't know a lot of the trainers personally. Um so I really don't worry about what they do that much. Um, it's not really like interesting to me, but what I will say is that, you know, there's a couple kind of like criteria is like in every industry, you're going to have your bad apples. So like my main point is, is if you worked with a trainer before and your experience was terrible, you feel like you just wasted a, you know, a ton of money. You feel like you didn't get anything out of it. That's pro that's, that's common, especially if on your end, if you thought you did everything you could and it was just a bad experience, it doesn't mean that every other trainer is going to give you that same experience. It's like taking your car to like a mechanic shop and the place is terrible. They didn't fix your car. The people were just, you know, idiots there and you just had a really bad experience. It doesn't mean the next shop across the street is going to give you that same experience. So I think that's just really, you know, if that's one point I want to make in this little point here is that I also want to say that you know, I used to think that like when I was younger, for whatever reason, that if you wanted to be a pro, you know, a trainer to professional racers, that you previously had to be a pro racer. I have no idea why I thought that, but I think a lot of people think that's part of it. And it's 100 percent not. So being a former pro racer does not pre-qualify you to be a trainer after you're done. Um, it, it could be helpful and it can hurt you in, in other ways, too, but. It doesn't mean that like you still have to know your stuff about training. You have to know how training works, how the human body works and how it all relates together. And that is very complex. Like that takes years, 
Now, we're not talking days, weekends, weeks, months. I mean, we're talking years until people really understand training, you know, and how this all, you know, works together. Sure, on the surface, this whole training stuff is pretty basic. But once you dip below that surface and you start, like, asking questions why and how and what happens when you do this. And, I mean, I'm not trying to overplay, like, the importance of what I do. But I'm just saying, like, it takes – it is, like – there's a lot to know and to do it right and to do it justice, it takes years of the knowledge and then continuing continuous knowledge to learn. So just because you were a former pro doesn't mean right off the rip, you were a good trainer. Like I was a pretty good football player and it did not mean as soon as I became a coach that I knew how to train football players. I knew things and stuff, but I did not know how to coach program and actually train a football player properly, you know, for, Man, I, I didn't feel comfortable for after a year of, you know, coaching in a collegiate setting. And then even, you know, just and that's like doing it for like well over 40 hours a week for a whole year of coaching. Um, and it, it probably was, you know, I'd probably say one to two years until I really start getting comfortable as a coach. Um but it, it takes time. It takes a lot of time. So it doesn't just mean like, hey, I was a pro. I did this. Just do what I did. Um, that's a whole nother thing of what we're talking about. And um, but with that said, like you do have to understand the sport. If you go to a trainer and they're like, what? Dirt bikes? Huh? And they're like, oh, yeah, my f- neighbor has a ATV we go riding on sometimes. You have to understand that the the trainer, the coach has to understand what you're doing and what the demands of the sport are. And that goes for all coaches and trainers. You have to understand the demands of the sport in order to create effective programming. In fact, you know, being able to effectively connect with your athletes, you have to understand the demands and just at least a little bit of how it works, the structure of it. Um, If I get an athlete in that I'm not familiar with the sport, or I haven't worked with that person with the sport. I, as soon as you know that happens, I used to just learn about the sport all the time. So I got like a couple of lacrosse players. Lacrosse is very isn't new or isn't like very popular um, in Northeast Ohio. It's becoming more popular now. But when I first start working with a couple of lacrosse athletes, I'm like, man, I don't know anything about lacrosse. So I just start studying it right away. Got up to speed, and then I feel much more comfortable with it now. Obviously. And even when I was working with them, like right off the rip, like I was able to, you know, at least attempt to learn. And I kept continuing to learn how to um, really understand what lacrosse is all about. Uh, But yeah, moving on with motorcycles, enough about lacrosse. Um, Hopefully you kind of just the main takeaway is that not all trainers are created equally. You're going to have your good ones. You're going to have your bad ones. You're going to have your ones in between. And and yeah, they're just they're not all the same. They're not all going to be cut from the same cloth. There's going to even be a ton of different uh, philosophies. So it doesn't make one person wrong, one person right. It just, you know, they have to they have to be confident in what they're doing. Uh, a couple of key takeaways I want you to understand, though, before we kind of start wrapping this episode up. Things as a racer that you should understand about the whole training process, whether you have a training, a, a trainer or not. Um. But really, if it's more or less applies if you do have a trainer or you're thinking about hiring one. So um, if you were to go you know, hire a trainer, this doesn't just give you instant track results. So I think a lot of times when people hire a coach, whether it's someone like myself 
whether you were to hire someone like my wife, Kelly, or you were to hire a riding coach, anything like that, or you're to hire a mechanic, um, anybody that like you're going to hire to help you with your career, just because you hire somebody does not mean that like, that's all it took was cutting a pay, was cutting a check, handing the money over to somebody that doesn't do anything. Like some people just, I think, try to convince themselves that, oh, I'm going to go hire somebody and then that's what I need to do. Or they just want to tell people that they hired somebody. And it doesn't, you know, that doesn't just translate onto the track. You, as the athlete, have to do the work. The coach can tell you what to do. It could be the perfect program, but you have to do the work to follow through and to actually execute that on your own. The coach can't do the work for you. We can lay it out for you. Uh, we could, you know, give you every tool in our arsenal. But if you're not taking it and working with it, you're not going to improve. Also, another thing is what's going to happen is if you hire a trainer, is you're going to find, you know, a new trainer is going to help, you know, find things in you that you maybe thought were good or never thought of. And you're going to find some new challenges. So, like, it might, things might get worse before they get better. And that's not uncommon. Like you may go into working with a trainer and you're like, wow, like I'm really weak or wow, my conditioning sucks. How was I even finishing my races? Like, oh, like these workouts are hard. Things are probably going to get worse before they get better. And the last one, what I wanted to you know, touch on is, you know, there's that saying you can't polish a turd. And I think what like, this is really important because, like, you can't just, like, if, if you're not a good rider, like, you can't expect to be a C rider. Hire a trainer to work on your fitness and expect to be running with A-class guys, you know, within a year. It doesn't work that way. So, you know, if, you know, there's, like, you can't, you know, champions are kind of, like, there's that saying champions are born, not made. And there's a lot of truth to that. And you're not just going to take somebody and make them into a champion. Like there's already stuff going on there with that person that like some people are just going to be champions no matter what they do. And you have to understand that. And, but you can't like, if you're not good, like you're not, you're never going to take somebody that, is really bad and just make them into something they're good just because you hired like a mechanic, a really good, you know, um, trainer, mechanic, any kind of coaches you want, you're always going to kind of be what you are. And I'm not trying to say that to like not give hope. You could always improve. That's why you hire coaches and you push hard and you train and you do things like that. I'm just, you know, shining light on the reality of like, don't lie to yourself. Like, you're not hiring people to solve problems. You're hiring people to help you. And if you're setting up these huge expectations, like, oh, I'm going to hire, I'm going to hire Joel as my trainer. And that's going to take me from, you know, getting crushed in the B class to I'm going to go try to get my pro license next year, license next year. So basically what I'm saying is like, you know, understand where you're at and how people can help you. Like, don't put all the pressure on to your coaches and push it outward. Bring it to you first. Like make sure you get better as the athlete and let people help you. So hopefully that makes sense. Um, I didn't want to go down too much of a rabbit hole on that one. But finally, let's um, let's talk about should you, you listening as the racer, should you hire a trainer?
So I've laid out a lot of insight for you, a lot of just comparison, a lot of things for you just to chew on. And, you know, if you had to ask me, should you hire a trainer? You know, my biased answer is going to be yes. <laughs> uh, but I think it's a great idea and it's going to take the pressure off your plate. Um, at least, you know, at least that like, you know, if you get a trainer that's going to keep you safe, you know, you're going to be safe and it's going to just take that pressure off of just knowing like, Hey, I'm just deviating. I'm, I'm putting some of this pressure on someone else to figure out for me, you know? And I think just with that alone is really huge. And I think that's a lot just to consider with that element. And that's something I don't think a lot of people talk about and they don't really look at the role as the coach to do that for you. And I think just that, man, is just, it's really huge. Like, um, I know when I got into college and I had a strength coach the whole time, I just did whatever they said. And I was like, man, this is kind of nice. He could just write all the programs. Uh, we didn't really have a program like that in high school. I did a lot of stuff like on my own. And when you had like a full-time strength and conditioning coach, it just made life simple. Like you didn't have to think you just showed up and did it and you got results. Um, so yeah, you could do that, but you know, I think what I think what you really need to, to realize is, you know, if you hire a trainer, if you really feel and believe it's gonna help, you know, bring you more of a complete, you know, racing package, you know, package to the race, like you like you internally need to feel, yes, I should hire a trainer because I feel like I'm gonna be a better racer if I do. If you don't have that feeling, then maybe you should sit on a little bit more or not, you know, just keep you know, carrying on how you've been. Um, it should be a nice internal feeling of like, yes, this is what I need. And to kind of go with that, I think, you know, lastly, like only hire a trainer is if you really believe and trust in them. Like if you believe their work and, you know, you believe that they can help get you to that next spot, you know, not, not a million places, you know, higher, but just like, you know, like you're, you're at one spot and you're like, man, I just want to get there, like that next spot that's when you hire a trainer and they take you from, you know, they, they try to help bring you up a notch and it's not, they're not there to fix your problems. Like I've been saying, but they're there to help move you along and help advance your career. They're there to help work, to be in your corner and to work, work for you and with you and help support you through, you know, the hard times as well. And if you don't feel like you can trust a trainer, like if you're working with somebody or you're thinking about hiring them and you're like, man, I just don't know if I could trust this person. Well, then you're really just wasting your time and your money um, because you have to, to trust your trainer. And, you know, I feel like, you know, my core guys that I train and um, and work with, I honestly like, you know, me and my assistant, Tim, we kind of talk sometimes. We just kind of laugh We're like, yeah, like I'm pretty sure, you know, Jeremy Hand will run through a brick wall if I told him to. Um, <laughs> and Jeremy's somebody I've been working with. He's a uh, pro supercross, pro motocross racer. And, you know, I've been working with him since January of 2013. And, you know, we built a really strong just, you know, working relationship with each other. And it works. You know, I ask him a question. He answers it. I tell him, you know, hey, you should do this. He'll do it or at least try it. You know, like, so that's the way it needs to be. If you don't trust him, if you don't trust your trainer, uh, it's going to be a huge challenge for you. And you're never really going to get the benefit out of it, you know, with that. Because that's, at that point, things are pretty much pointless. And lastly, like, how much did you pay for one? And I can't really give you any metrics, but 
this just needs to be a business move on your end. Even if you're an amateur and you're a competitive amateur, it still needs to be looked at as like a business move. So like, for example, like I pay rent and bills to run my facility. It's quite expensive, but I know that in return, because if I have the facility and I can, you know, run this as a business, I know that it will provide me the value for me to coach the way I know how to coach and to be able to train a lot of people. And in return, I know that I can make a living and I could support my family with it. And so it makes sense for me to make these monthly payments so that I can do what I need to do. So for me, it's a really easy decision. I'm like, yeah, of course, I'll just, if I got to pay this so I can make this to keep coaching and support my family, it's a no brainer. So for me, that business move makes a hundred percent you know, sense. And that's how people need to look at hiring a trainer. It needs, they need to feel a return. They need to feel like they're saving time. They're increasing their results. There needs to be some sort of value attached to what you're paying. And you need to feel comfortable, you know, paying for that return. You know, like, for example, would you pay a hundred thousand dollars a year if that meant you were going to make $500,000 a year, you know, the next year, you know, would, would a $400,000 return be good? I think so. That's an extreme example. That's not in everybody's you know pocketbook, but that's not what everybody's going to make, especially in motocross. That's pretty rare, but that's what people need to, that's how you need to think this and approach it and approach this. And I can't give you an exact equation because every situation is different. Every person's different. Everybody's careers look, look a little differently, but you should have a sense of return on your financial invest investment, but also your physical investments too, because you're going to put a lot of effort in working with this person. So take that for what it is. And um, hopefully we touched on a lot of things today, a lot more than I originally planned to, but I just felt like it was important. I made some comparisons for you guys really like comparing, like, you know, hiring a trainer is like hiring an accountant to do your taxes. It's helpful to, you know, they're a person to help you along, help kind of not cut corners, but to help straighten your arrow out so that you're not all over the place. You know, the role of a trainer is to keep you safe. It's to pinpoint your efforts think of that sniper approach versus just a guns blazing approach. And it's to add to your, your competition confidence. Also remember that not all trainers are created equally. You're going to have your bad apples. So don't let a bad apple de you know, demotivate you to potentially work with somebody else. And, you know, a couple things that, you know, understand that hiring a coach doesn't solve your problems. It helps you get through them. It helps add to who you are and what you are as a racer to make you better. And should you hire a trainer? Yeah. I think if you, if you feel like they're going to help you and that you trust in this person, I think it could be a great idea. And it's something to at least consider that might be a little biased, but you know, it's not a hundred percent necessary. Like, yes, you absolutely have to, or no, it's a waste of time, you know, kind of do your research, talk to some of them, see if it's a good fit for you. If not, then, you know, keep racing and carrying on. And lastly, how much did you pay? I don't know. The, the price range is all over. Um, Some people may say I'm cheap. Some people may say I'm really expensive, but you know, that's all comes down to what you feel the value is and what your return is. Um, I can't give you an exact example. Just make sure you feel like you are, when you spend your money, you're not feeling bad or like, Oh, this is stupid. You should feel like, yeah, when I, when I pay a trainer, it's well worth it. And that you should feel like you should almost like you could pay double if you had to, and it would still be worth it. That would be my advice for you. So that's it for this episode. Uh, for a future episode, I want to do a Q&A style podcast. That's a goal of mine. Uh, 
Um, I don't know if it'll be the next one. It'll depend on how the questions come in. If they come in relatively fast, I will do one next week. Um, but we'll see. I don't know. I have no plan for it. So just kind of scrap what I just said anyways. But uh, regardless, you can send me my question, your questions at my Instagram account. And that's at Joel Yunkins is my Instagram. That's J-O-E-L-Y-O-U-N-K-I-N-S. Or you can email me your question. And it's just Joel Yunkins at jytraining.com. When you shoot me your question, just be like, hey, this is from the you know motocross training podcast question. And then boom, just give me your question and I will take it down to hopefully answer it if it's a good question. Um, you know, I'm not sure if I'm going to decline any at this point, but definitely want to do like the best top questions. So try to give me something good. Um, but yeah, have fun riding. Um, enjoy if you have some time off to get some extra riding in and stay safe and talk to you soon. Later.